may have heard the phrase or the statement before, the challenge, never wrestle with a pig. You will both get muddy and only one of you will like it. Uh, that is absolutely great advice and wisdom for us. Of course, the point is very clear. There are some who are bent on arguing or complaining or criticizing all of the time. Can never seem to get their brain or their mind or their heart or their life turned in such a way where they can even see anything at all in life in a positive way, in a positive manner. And so as a result, they drain the life out of those who are around them uh, over and over and over again to the point where many of those relationships that they have get uh, dismantled or uh, destroyed altogether and they continue to move throughout life in the same frame of mind. Well, in the passage that we're going to look at today, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 19, Paul was addressing this, encouraging and challenging Timothy and talking about this aspect of or this part of our lives in particular, quarreling, quarreling about words. And the way he categorizes it uh, really challenged not only Timothy in the way he was to carry himself, but also will challenge us today in great ways because we constantly run into people who were of that mindset and heart set. So the message for today are the, the terms of this type of engagement that we're to have with other individuals, the terms of engagement for followers of Jesus if we want to remain faithful. And as a result of that, we're called to live well, to study well, and to choose well or to choose wisely. And so as we walk through these verses, those uh, components or those points of the message will definitely come out and challenge us. But before we read the passage for this morning, let's pray together and then we'll read and we'll begin diving in. So God, this morning we look at this section of your word, not just considering those around us who are either argumentative or seem to run to quarreling, but God, to investigate our own lives in the ways in which we at times are in the same position, same footing as those who constantly live their lives with that turmoil, with that unsettledness. And so God, as we look at the way that Paul was instructing and encouraging Timothy, I pray that we too would be instructed and encouraged in a way that you desire for us to carry out our lives possibly differently in some aspects in the way we have to this point. So God, we thank you for that in advance. May you work in these moments in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's read these verses together. Second uh, Timothy 2, 14 through 19. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babbling, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Next two names that are in this, I have always pronounced that first name, Hymenaeus. In listening to the ESV version on the Bible, I pronounced differently, 
Uh, also, I used to pronounce Philetus for the second name, and that was also pronounced uh, differently. It's interesting to see the names that are written in the Old and New Testaments and to try to pronounce them correctly, and then you hear different things. But the uh, pronunciation from uh, the ESV version on the Bible app uh, pronounces the first as Hamanias, and the second is Philetus. And so, interesting. So among these, uh, anyway, that's just a personal sideline note for you there. Among them are these two who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Of course, another term for iniquity is sin. So in the beginning, uh, Paul is sharing with Timothy to remind them, who is the them? It's the church that he was responsible for. He was telling Timothy to remind the church, the people of God for whom he was shepherding, of these things. What are these things? Well, the reference there is to the gospel, uh, to uh, Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, for individuals coming into a relationship with him for what the gospel is, for what the gospel means for the life-transforming change that comes when people surrender their lives to Jesus. So uh, Paul was reminding Timothy to remind his people, the people he was responsible to shepherd, of the gospel and to charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. So this quarreling was not only happening with inside of the church, as we saw last week when we walked through that portion of the letter. It was also happening outside of the church. So both inside and outside, Timothy was dealing with this quarreling. Now outside of the church and inside, uh, there were those who were false teachers, some of whom had gotten involved uh, with the church and were beginning to deceive or to uh, dissuade those who were followers away from Christ from even the gospel and the message. These false teachers were very dangerous. And so Paul was encouraging Timothy, especially for those outside of the church, to not quarrel with these individuals about words. And so we too, as we engage our culture, know that there are many in our world who are not only lost, but who are false teachers. So when we engage those from other religions, from those cults, uh, in particular Jehovah's Witness, we need to have caution in the way that we engage and the way we talk with them. Holding out the truth, of course, is our responsibility, but remembering where they're coming from. In particular with Jehovah's Witness, just taking one of the uh, cults that exists, individuals coming to the doors, their viewpoint of John 1.1 in particular uh, is different than the Christian's view of John 1.1. Actually, they believe the Christian Bible misinterprets or misrepresents the truth of what that, that verse is supposed to say. So it, it, in their version, in the Jehovah's Witness Scripture, whatever they call that, their book that they hold to, there is John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Christianity and the Word was God. Well, in their teaching truth book, a God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. 
And so when they walk up to your door and they ring your doorbell and they begin to engage you in conversation about what they believe the true gospel is, obviously they do not hold to the same that we do. We understand that that verse, which, by the way, is important for all of us to memorize and to know as we engage this culture, tells us that in the beginning was the word Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit. Before there was any creation, there was the Trinity, the Godhead. They don't believe, however, that in the beginning Jesus was present and that he was a full member of the Godhead, the three in one. And so as we begin to engage them, not in that same context with Paul to Timothy, there were other false uh, teachings that were going about. We're going to look at in just a minute. But as he engaged them, Paul was warning him, be careful as you deal with these false teachers. Because not only will you uh, engage, can get frustrated if you don't know uh, what the Word says, what the Old Testament is. Again, they're funneling out of that as, as Timothy is teaching. If you don't know the truth of Scripture, you can not only disrupt the lives of others, the hearers around, those within your church family, but it could disrupt your faith as well. We're challenged constantly by God's word to remember that we're not to accept just by hearing the teachings of those who call themselves pastors, teachers, shepherds. That's part of our responsibility to know the word, but we have to, each one of us, know the word ourselves. Because there are times when teachings can come out that are false teachings, whether intentional or unintentional. These false teachers that Paul was addressing or talking to Timothy about knew exactly what they were doing. Their primary root issue that they disagreed with, with Christianity and with Jesus' teaching, is that the resurrection only happened in a spiritual sense. The physical body and everything that went with it uh, was evil. And so uh, as a result, because they only saw the resurrection taking place in a spiritual sense, just in the mind not in a real physical sense, they denied that Jesus was actually physically resurrected. And so as followers of Jesus then, basically they were telling these, you also, because Jesus didn't actually physically raise from the dead, you neither will be physically raised. We know the concept um, that he's talking about there, that if Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead, those who claim to be followers of Jesus are fools. Because our life and our power comes from a risen Savior, not from one who is dead. And so Jesus currently, who is in heaven, who will return for us one day, was physically raised. And so that gives us, as followers of Jesus, hope. Because we too, one day, will be physically raised. We will have an eternity with Christ. We will receive new bodies. There are a lot of conversations throughout the New Testament to talk about heaven and about what's coming. Not full descriptions of that. Much of that is a wonder and a mystery to us. But he was challenging Timothy in this to not engage these individuals because the root of where they were coming from was so wrong, so inaccurate, that, that if he, he did engage them, there could be some damage. And, and the truth is same, the same with us. Now, we are to stand for the truth. We are to communicate the truth of the gospel and the word to all, including false teachers, but to engage them and to get into some kind of a debate, possibly where tensions can flare, where frustration can come about, then not only are the two that are engaged in it, especially the follower of Jesus, but those who are around hearing, it can damage. And so we've got to make sure that we're spiritually ready for that. Uh, Paul was warning Timothy, be careful. Now we know Paul's background as well. Paul was not afraid 
of having conflict or addressing individuals who are in this false position or other false positions of communicating the truth. Obviously, Paul was not afraid to do that. Defending and confirming the gospel, as we see in Philippians 1.7, that was one of the tenets of Paul's life. So he wasn't telling Timothy to cower and to shy away from it. He was just warning and encouraging him to be careful as he did it. Now, for those inside the church who were false teachers, who were swaying, with whom he had personal responsibility for, he needed to address those issues with those individuals to communicate the truth. And if for some reason they decided to not follow the truth or to accept the truth of what God's word says, then he had to do something different within the church with those leaders uh, to take action on that. So Paul, once again, was not encouraging him to, to cower away from that. He was just telling him he needed to be wise. And he needed to live well. Look at verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So this is really where we see that first point, that we're called to live, called to live well, to have Holy Spirit-saturated lives, that as we go and we engage this culture, as we engage the world, as we have these conversations, that they look at us and they see there's something different about that individual. There's something different about you. We, of course, know the difference. Is Christ impacting and transforming our lives from the inside out where when we encounter individuals or have conversations or relationships or friendships with those who are lost, there is a fragrance of Christ that just comes out into a world that is saturated with pride, with with self-appeasement, with placing themselves on their own thrones of their lives, not having any accountability, not worrying about other people, just solely being focused on self. We, as followers, our primary aim to please Christ, for him to move and work in our lives so much as we've been talking about through this entire series as well, that they see this something different. And not only that they see it, but they ask questions. And so there is a bend for some, even within the church, to not be the fragrance of Christ to want to constantly engage in quarreling, engaging, complaining, and being in that bend. And so when uh, those folks within the church go into the community, obviously that spills over. I did some reading in various books about that in particular, about this, uh, this, um, this slant towards constantly quarreling or arguing or being unsettled, um, especially for those who are believers, uh, but even for those who aren't. And the main theme that came through those is that there's an unsettledness within that individual's life where it makes them feel better to criticize, to argue, to complain. When the funnel of their life is that, it does something for them individually, personally, uh, that nothing else, it seems, can fit or meet whatever need it is. And so there's some type of, of an aspect of their lives that they're very unhappy with. And as a result... Uh, They pour that unhappiness onto the lives of others. You know what I'm talking about. You have those individuals at work. You have those individuals in your neighborhood, in school, and it's difficult to be around them. So, Timothy, in this, being challenged, live your life in such a way that that is not a picture of you. Teach those who you're responsible for to not live in that way, but to be so different because of Christ transforming your life that people see this or, or understand this fragrance of Christ, that there's something different that gives you the opportunity to do what? 
to share the gospel with the lost and to be an encouragement to followers of Jesus. Being a worker who does not need to be ashamed, meaning that our consciences are clear. That as we walk through this life and as we engage in it and as we sin, we confess, we repent of those things, we put those things away, we allow Christ's forgiveness, mercy, grace to rule in our lives. And then as a result, we rightly handle the word of truth. I would say back to the conversation that we just had a moment ago about the Jehovah's Witness, most followers of Jesus, uh, most probably extreme, some, don't know the word enough to effectively be able to engage others with the gospel, especially those of false teaching. Uh, So with that, we look at God's word. How much time are we spending? How much time really are we spending with him? Are we able to accurately defend and confirm the gospel and the faith as did Paul? Is that a priority in our lives? So we can rightly handle the word of truth. So there are different positions and opinions that different churches and different believers um, state, some of which are obviously incorrect. Some would say, I had a dream, or I was reading, or I was driving, and God told me to, you fill in the blank. And with that, if we look at God's word, it's an exact opposition of God's word. But they justify it saying, God told me to fill in the blank. And we can quickly point to the word and say, well, yeah, but, but the word says that we're to live this way. And, and what you're doing, one in particular, hate crimes. For whatever reason it is, they say, God told me to kill that person. God told me to beat that person up. God told me to ostracize that person and verbally abuse them everywhere I go. Well, obviously we see in God's word that is not true. So for whatever reason, they've been deceived, this false teaching, and they believe that what they're doing is actually furthering the gospel, but it's in direct opposition to the word of God. So what's our test? Our test is the word of God. If we say that God is telling us to do something that's direct opposition to his word, we are wrong. And we shouldn't hold to that. We need to evaluate that. Again, not just based on a teacher or a preacher or someone expressing it. It has to be directly from the word of God. He then goes on in verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. The danger then, if we get into these long conversations, these these heated, engaged conversations, especially with false teachers, what will happen? The conversation will continue to go and go and go, and it may even produce in us ungodliness. What does that look like? I've already mentioned it. We begin to get frustrated. We begin to verbally share and abuse the the individual in front of us with our words. And so the product isn't a godly life. It's ungodliness. And if there are people around that are hearing, or if that individual goes and tells their relational lines, which you know that happens. Yeah, I met another one of those moron Christians today. Basically took me down with his words, her words. Uh, I've got no interest in Christianity whatsoever. There's a a great quote that came out. You may have heard this. Are you DC Talk listeners? To, to, uh, remember DC Talk, that group that was around for a long time in the 90s? Well, in the beginning of one of their songs, um, uh, What If I Stumble, there was this quote, uh, this recording of uh, a man who, who read this, an eloquent statement by Franciscan priest named Brennan Manning. He said this, The greatest single cause of atheism, okay, DC Talk listeners, you should be remembering this, In the world today, 
is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. How much damage has been done time and again by those who enter church every Sunday morning, sing praises to God from their mouths, listen to the word and engage, even in Sunday school, serve, and then walk out as if there is no relationship whatsoever with God. Many in our world, I would say, in fact, many who come in even with the claims of being followers of Jesus, if their life reflects as the same as that, may not even be followers of Jesus at all. Our lives should be so saturated with the Holy Spirit and with Christ that if we do those things, or if we engage in that way, we should have conviction, look to change, and look to make a difference. Our words and our lives matter. We're to live those well. We're to study well. And we're to choose well. Look at verse 17. And their talk will spread like gangrene. We've mentioned this. Uh, these two individuals who have come to the forefront, their false teaching spread like gangrene, affecting negatively followers of Jesus and the lost alike. As a result, those individuals being swerved from the truth, how many individuals in our world believe they've heard the gospel? I was baptized in an infant, so I'm, I'm saved. My family, my parents were Christians, and so because they were, I am too. I, if, I'm, if I'm good enough, if I work hard enough, God will accept me when I see him one day. If I, if I go to church and I take communion and, and I, I confess my sin uh, to whoever it is that I'm going to confess to, uh, then, then I've got a real shot at making it. If, if my family and my friends pray for me after I die, they can actually pray me into heaven. And so I really don't have to worry about it. See the false teachings that people are holding to? And then all of the cults, not to mention that there are so many in our world that are deceived that believe heaven is coming for me. Mormonism. Three heavens await. I'm going to get to the third one. See, this false teaching penetrates our world, and there are millions across our planet who believe that they are truly going to see God one day, who have never had a heart and life transformation our world. And I think of those false teachers who are leading them astray, one day answering for those. Those of us who say we are called of God have an extreme responsibility to teach the truth and to make sure, especially as we hold out the gospel, that it is the gospel that the word communicates. So many are deceived. So those who have swerved from the truth, saying the resurrection has already happened, we've talked about that, they are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands. That's a great verse for us to remember. Even if at times when we have conversations with individuals about the gospel, even if we mess it up in our words and our terms, we have to remember God will sp still speak loudly into the lives of those around us, whether our words are confusing or not fully on point. He will hold true to the gospel and to the word himself. We are defenders of him and defenders of the gospel, but he defends himself better than any of us can or would ever hope to. God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. We remember if someone truly surrenders their lives, the name is written in the book of life. Is your name in it? 
Do you know that you've surrendered your life to Jesus? That there was a change in your life, whether age 5 or 85 or somewhere in between. Where when you see God one day, he will look at you and he will say, The blood of Jesus covers your sin. You are mine and your name is in the book of life. Remember, no one can blot that name out. Once we find him, once we're in a relationship with him, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Is your name in the book of life? If your name is found there because you've surrendered your life, can those around you see the difference in your life that Jesus is making? Can they see him? The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So there's our wrestling, our flesh, our our struggle against sin. It will be lifelong. All right, let's wrap it up. Living well. We are all called to live this life through the power of the Holy Spirit well. Where when people see us and encounter us, the common theme, that individual is different. Their love for Jesus or or whatever it is, until we can communicate that with them, that it is our love for Jesus that is the difference. He is the one who makes a difference in our lives. We are to live well so people can see that, not only outside of the church, but inside. So this aspect of quarreling about words. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to uh, have conversations and have dialogue about doctrine. Obviously, we are responsible to do that. And by the way, we know this as well. Over the centuries, there have been many many who have studied the word diligently. Greek, Hebrew, vesting themselves so heavily there that doctrines have been developed that scripturally we can see differences. In particular, Reformed and Wesleyan, radical differences from theologians who are and who have devoted their entire lives to studying. And so we, too, are to devote our lives to that. But these doctrinal differences that take place is the conversation with individuals, other than those strong tenets, the the core of Christianity that we need to hold to, that every follower of Jesus should hold to. Are the conversations and discussions beyond that really worth it? Are they worth broken fellowship, broken relationship? We have to ask ourselves. We have to have strong discernment from the Lord of how to engage and when. We are to defend the truth. But at what cost? And to what position do we hold? Are we open to listening, still holding our position? We are to live well where people can see our lives, as just was shared. We are to study well. We need to know the word. If John 1.1 is not a memory verse of yours, if that is not one of those building blocks, I encourage you, memorize it, Know it word for word. It will help prepare you for conversations that you may have with those who hold a different position, especially in relation to the Trinity, the Creator. Foundational for us. Memorize that. Finally, choose well and choose wisely. We definitely need the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we walk through this life of how to engage, who to engage, and who not to engage. Remembering that not only are the two of our lives who we're talking with affected, but all of those around us as well. Are we holding to Christ and being the hands and feet of Jesus to those around us? Can people see in us this difference? If it's not there, what needs to take the place for that to happen? 
And then the question we can ask related to those with whom we're engaging, what's the deeper issue? You know, for those who constantly, once again, bend towards this grumbling, arguing, complaining, criticizing, all of those things, so it seems to be that is their entire lives, we have to ask, what's the deeper issue? What's happened with that individual? And then we can ask that question. Hey, what, what's really happening in your life? We can get so bent on the, on the doctrinal discussions or the debates that we fail to see the person that God has created right in front of us, asking the deeper heart issues. Where are you? What is the Lord currently doing in your life? And how can I pray for you and support you? Instead of going toe-to-toe, every time we have conversations with people, we need to get beyond it. 2 Timothy 2.19, last verse. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Depart from iniquity. The call to all believers. The message, 2 Timothy 2.14 and 19. Repeat these basic essentials over and over to God's people. Warn them before God against pious, arrogant nitpicking, which chips away at the faith. It just wears everyone out. Concentrate on doing your best for God. Work you won't be ashamed of. Laying out the truth, plain and simple. Stay clear of pious talk. That is only talk. Words are not mere words, you know. If they're not backed up by a godly life, they accumulate as poison in the soul. Hymenaeus and Philetus are examples throwing believers off every stride and missing the truth by a mile by saying the resurrection is over and done with. Meanwhile, God's firm foundation, as is firm as ever, these sentences are engraved on the stones. God knows those who belong to him. Spurn evil, all you who name God as God. Live well, study well, and choose well. These are the basic tenets of how we're to approach these conversations or to have the discernment to not. Let's pray.